Hi, everyone. This is Philip Michaels. We've been getting a lot of good feedback lately on the Macworld podcast. It's time to put an end to that with the Macworld Pundit Showdown. Yes, it's Wednesday, April 27, 2011, and it's time once again for that very special edition of the Macworld podcast, where we turn it over to a cast of experts in their field, and we ask them questions that prove how inexpert they are about the world of technology and the world of Macs. We award them points for punditry, and let's meet this week's panel. First off, the only person in this room, which means she's the only person exposed to the head cold I'm fighting my way through. She uh, is also the only person on today's panel who can claim to have won an episode of the Macworld Podcast Showdown. Uh, she hates when we bring up her, her relative youth. She hates her theme music. That's why we play it. It's Serenity Caldwell. <laughs> really? Yes. Wow. Welcome. Bravo. I'm I'm slow clapping, but I can. We can Very feel nice. the the appreciation in the daggers that you stare at me. It's bravo. Our next panelist will introduce, since he's already taken the the, the time to talk before he has been properly introduced. <laughs> he is the author of "Take Control of iPhone and iPad Networking Security," a title so long, five copies of the book were sold while I was announcing it. He is also an expert in all things wireless and all things networking. He is Macworld contributor, Macworld senior contributor, Glenn Fleischman. Oh. <laughs> Hello, Glenn. I can sign on with that music. How are oh. you today? I'm feeling really groovy now. Yes. Man. This is actually the first time you've ever heard your theme music because we played it at the um, the live show we did in January, except no one could hear the uh, the intros for the, the first few minutes of the show. So that that was actually what was meant to have introduced you at the on at Macworld Expo. I'm with it. Okay. Baby. Another author. This of the of the soon to be collector's item Flip Minio Pocket Guide. He's a very popular Macworld editor whose Twitter feed includes Mac tips and tips about proper hair care. It's senior editor Christopher Breen. Give me a head with hair, long, beautiful hair, shining, <laughs> gleaming. Hello, Chris. Hello, that's that's fabulous. Thank you so much. We're just we're just going to play that. No, please do. I, that's I, the uh, cow sales version, which is uh, which is much better than the cast recording. I think that that, that is just fantastic. <laughs> that is my favorite intro music of all our of all our many guests on this show. I love that song. And finally, a man who was was a frequent MacWorld contributor. We loved him so much. We hired him. Pending pending uh, evaluate employee evaluations. <laughs> He is also I'll never pass. He is also an author of the Snuggy Sutra, which you know, buy it has nothing has no, no <laughs> has nothing to do with the Mac, but it's good for a laugh or two. I hope it's good Thank for you. a laugh or two. Is it a serious book, Lex? No, I, I would say it's supposed to be good for a laugh or two. Good for a laugh or two or three. It's Lex Friedman. Hello. Lex, we're very excited to have you join us. Thank you. My pleasure. Yeah, 
Performing well today on the Pundit Showdown, though, is a condition of future employment. So let's go to the scoring. It's uh, I will ask questions. They will provide answers. I will award points. There'll be one point for a good answer, two points for a very good answer, Boom. and three points for an excellent answer. Not so good answers. You'll lose a point. And then the top two point getters will face off in Defend the Indefensible, which, as Chris Breen knows... <laughs> Is where you defend whatever I say, no matter how awful <laughs> and ridiculous. Oh, what? Is that how it works? That's how it works. Oh! There'll be right. a quiz on this at the end of the show. <laughs> yes, apparently there will. Yes. Uh, let's go to our first question. It's it's about this. Since our last Pundit Showdown, Apple has released an iPhone on Verizon, updated its MacBook Pro line, and introduced the iPad 2. What's the next thing on the to-do list for our friends from Cupertino? Let us start off with the defending champion, Serenity Caldwell. Oh, boy. Well, Apple has said a whole bunch of things in the last since the last couple months or so since the iPad 2 announcement. And they've got quite a list built up, which is a good thing because someone has to think of those poor rumor mongers. If you believe the blogs, Apple's got everything from a Coro i5 MacBook Air refresh to an iPhone 5 this fall. But I think the first thing we'll see from Cupertino, maybe, is the fabled white iPhone. If we're all very still and don't scare it away. Mm. Hopefully the, the uh, shortages of white paint that have been gripping the nation have come, have come to an end. Chris Breen, what can we expect from Apple next? Uh, well, after rumors that the thing is actually going to go online any day now and be the repository for everything from a media storage locker to the hub of Apple's new financial service and the storage space for Larry Ellison's ego, we're going to finally see the uh, vaunted, vaunted – server farm in North Carolina open. And uh, and the reason it has not opened is because it turns out that they're using all that massive power to track down the uh, Carolina Panther. And not the sports team, but rather the real one, which unfortunately was hunted into extinction at the end of the 19th century by the Carolinians. Bit of a bummer there at the end. <laughs> Bit of a bummer. We only like happy talk here on the Pundit Showdown. Glenn Fleischman, what can we expect from Apple? Well, everyone's wrong, of course, because what we're going to see first. Immediate point is, there for slagging off your competitors. We're going to see Lion in iOS 5. We're going to have an early ship date. We're going to see at WWDC. They're going to preview all the things in Lion that they left out in the developer previews that will actually knock people's socks off. Ooh. Things like improved file sharing and networking that everyone, oh, I don't know, I can't really summon that much excitement about it. But iOS 5 will finally incorporate the features needed to allow cloud-based storage, streaming media, all the things that that Carolina data center will eventually be turned on for. And we're going to see the combination of Lion and OS 5, how closely together the two operating systems now look and feel with features from one crossing over to the other, by which I mean that Lion will look more like iOS than the other way around. Loads of points there for Glenn. Lex. Well, the next thing on Apple's to-do list is going to be taking a bath in a giant swimming pool full of money while a painstakingly reanimated Boom. John Lennon and the Beatles perform live. But beyond that, I mean, picking backing on what uh, Glenn said, I mean, uh, the big things coming up in my mind are the iPhone 5, iOS 5, and Lion. And I think what's going to really be remarkable about all of those releases is how as soon as each one of those things come out, uh, they're going to seem... Pain, painfully obvious. Every new feature is going to seem, oh, of course, why didn't we do that? Why hasn't Android done this? Why hasn't every Apple competitor done this? And uh, while everything will feel like no-brainers, it will, of course, be incredibly awesome. And uh, to make a good thing even better, uh, I believe that push alerts will finally really start sucking less in iOS 5. All right, next question. 
Researchers announced last week that the iPhone has been logging your locations. And while there's no consensus on just how big of a deal that is, many people are still waiting for Apple to spell out just what happened. I would like to know another instance of someone in technology who's got some explaining to do. Chris, you have... You have some explaining to do with your answer. I do. Uh, that would be Google's uh, Sergey Brin. And uh, because we have issues such as should Google be uh, playing footsie with uh, repressive foreign governments? Um, the link to hate sites. Um, what about marketers who are able to increase their numbers by spamming and uh, using dirty tricks to inflate their numbers? Uh, there's the whole Church of Scientology thing, trying to silence people. And uh, what about Google's cash? What happens? Not the money cash, but the C-A-C-H-E cash, which is, just seems to sit there and they can exploit for other reasons. Well, the true story turns out to be that years ago, uh, Sergey and Larry Page were hanging out at Stanford. And, you know, those wacky kids, they were so high. And so they were trying to think of a motto for Google. And uh, and so one of them said, oh, man, don't be evil. And they scratched it on the wall. And then when they woke up the next morning, you know, and that was a joke. And they looked at it and went, well, actually, maybe that'll fly. So what they really need to do is apologize and say, you know, we were so high when we said that. We didn't mean it at all. Extra bonus point there for the drug reference. Um, <laughs> Glenn. Someone who has some explaining to do. I want Rim to do some explaining, and I wish that Blackberries had the same illegal, possibly illegal tracking data in them that the Apple iPhone apparently tracks for us, because then we could have figured out where Rim's two CEOs, maybe dozens of other executives with chief in their title, have been for the last year or four years when they release something like the playbook that is clearly not just inferior to the iPad 2, but it developed in a parallel dimension in which people don't need to use email, in which carriers allow tethering free of charge in the United States, and in which, you know, it makes more sense to compare an, uh, a playbook to a Virginia ham than it does to an iPad 2. We were waiting for you to finish the sentence there so we could play the points. Um, who hasn't got Lex? You need to talk. Well, uh, well, I'd still like to hear Steve Wozniak explain the whole Kathy Griffin phase. Uh, but beyond him, you know, I was going to talk about the RIM CEO, so Glenn, I hate you. But I would also say that I'd like to talk to um, Mark Zuckerberg. I believe that the man has a lot of explaining to do about the history of Facebook and who really invented it and who gets the credit. Because I want to know who to thank for the wonderful invention that is poking. And let's uh, have Serenity wrap up the answer. Well, I hate both Glenn and Lex because I also had the playbook, but I have something else too. A lot of hatred in the air. Oh, today. there's so much hatred. I mean, it wouldn't be a good pundit showdown without it. But really, I the New York Times isn't in technology, but I would love for them to do some explaining about the technology they're implementing, especially when it comes to their subscription plans. Metered access to articles, three overly complicated subscription plans where it's tablet or it's phone. And then one of the, you know, you have to pay for the, you pay or you pay least for subscribing to the paper so you can get both plans. I mean, it's it's all insane. And it's FAQ alone has 33 questions that attempt to answer all the, you know, biting questions you have in addition to specific FAQs for each device you want to read the New York Times on. So my question, New York Times, why do you feel the need to overcomplicate what should be a perfectly simple transaction and scare away what loyal subscribers you do have? Very good. Let's go to our next question. And it's all about lion fever. Chris Breen, do you have lion fever?
Well, you know, Phil, uh, mm-hmm. the first time that I got it, I was I was just 10 years old. And I oh, got dear. it from some kitty next door. And, and I went to the doctor, and uh, he gave me the cure. But, you know, I think I got it some more. Boom. That was supposed to be two points. So, <laughs> yes, we took <laughs> a point off so that... We gave you three. It should have been two, but very good answer. Um, (laughs) Serenity, do you have lion fever? I do, but moreover, I think my MacBook Air has lion fever because it is running awfully hot and burning up. But, you know, in all seriousness, having experimented with the developer preview since its release in February, I'm thrilled with the direction that Apple's taking its operating system. I actually use Spaces now, which is awesome. Mission Control is great on my computer's little 11-inch MacBook Air screen. The do- the new multi-touch gestures are far too much fun. And the preview, I'm while a little buggy, shows some real promise. I will say, though, that the folks at Apple have gotten maybe a little too feverish with some of their iOS to Mac UI carryovers. I mean, really redacted. That's going too far. Secret answers that the audience <laughs> can't hear about. Better and better and better. Yes. Uh, Lex Friedman. I don't think Lime Fever is what this rash is, but I am very pumped about the uh, new OS coming to the Mac. After running the, the first developer preview, I'm actually going to disagree with Ren a bit because that's what I do. But I finally saw the reason to buy a Magic Trackpad. This is an OS that is begging to be touched. You know, I talk about the intimacy that the iPad affords often, which is why I'm rarely invited out to dinner parties. But touching the web page you're surfing or the article you're reading, you know, creates some otherwise unnoticed and intangible element of the reading experience. And with Lion recreating multi-touch in clever ways on the desktop, I really find it did a, a job, perhaps as best a desktop computer ever can, of recreating that intimacy. I, uh, I'm i just trying to come to grips with an operating system that's begging to be touched. <laughs> that, that is not an image that I needed in my head today. Uh, Glenn, <laughs> have you got the lion fever? Well, you know, I'm still recovering from snow leopard flu, which is kind of a long time, long recovery, maybe chronic illness. But what I think is, um, when I, when I get over that, I think, I think lion, my fever is uh, at a pretty low boil because I think what lion's going to bring is a blessed relief. It's going to bring a cool washcloth to the forehead of people who've never been able to sort of sort out that thing like, what are documents and what are applications and why do I care about where files live? What I care about is doing something. And lion has the potential for people who don't want to get under the hood, who want to have the old multi-finder experience with the, the joy of not knowing where your documents live, they're just there. I think that crowd of people, which is an awfully large number of people, starting with my mother-in-law, will be extremely happy. Lionel let fussy pants like us customized to our heart's content. But, you know, for new users, it's going to be much more approachable. And I think it'll be a big hit for people who don't really like computers at all. Let's check out the scores after three questions. Tied right now with eight points are Chris Breen and Lex Friedman. Serenity Caldwell has nine points. Racing out to a what seems like an insurmountable lead with 11 is Glenn Fleischman. Let's keep moving on. Tickets for this year's, for this June's WWDC sold out in less than 12 hours, with passes to the developers' conference commanding hefty sums on eBay. I'd like to hear from the panel about one time when you overpaid for technology, and we're happy to do so. Let's start with Lex. Well, I was going to cite the time when I purchased a Macworld subscription for $25 and then got <laughs> hired the next month, but that seems too inside baseball. The real answer is the original iPod Touch. <laughs> 
The original iPod Touch was, quite frankly, overpriced. It didn't have a speaker, didn't have a camera, a microphone. It was still awesome. Didn't care. Didn't mind. It was my own direct introduction to iOS at the time. I had a, a work-issued BlackBerry and a personal cell phone, and I couldn't possibly justify buying an iPhone at that time. I literally walked around with that BlackBerry, the flip phone, and an iPod Touch in my pockets all the time. It's worth noting this was also the start of my love affair with cargo pants. So it was overpriced, and the, the price drop and the introduction of a speaker filled me with jealousy. But this was the device that introduced me to strategery, so far be it from me to complain. Awesome. There you go. Uh, Serenity, what's a time that you overpaid for technology but had no complaint about doing so? Technically, it was my father, but I paid for some of it, and we bought a Cube, a Power Mac G4 Cube. And I kind of loved it because it was brilliant. I mean, how much more science fiction can you get than a tiny little computer with supreme processing power? Well, not very supreme, in fact. But it was really fun. (laughs) (laughs) learning how to mod and tinker with that sucker. And even though it's been replaced as my family's primary computer, it makes a great hall decoration. And when people ask about it, will we just say, well, it's in the Museum of Modern Art, so it can be on our hallway table, right? So you still have the cube? We do. Oh, that's great. I love the cube. That's great. (laughs) Can you see the cracks in the cube? No cracks? No cracks. The cube is blemish-free for me. Oh, that's terrific. That's terrific. Glenn! Well, I think I've bought every overpriced device, including a Cube, an iPhone, original iPhone, for which I paid $500. And uh, in my household, we have me, who was the early adopter, my wife, who was the early rejector, and she sometimes keeps balance in the force. But I have to go back <clears throat> 25 years to when I was in high school, uh, before Serenity Caldwell was born, of course, and, and probably when Lex was still sucking his thumb, back you know, to the hoary days in which we didn't have these fancy Cubes and iPod Touches, young people. $100 bought me this personal organizer from Casio, I think. I bought it from the Sharper Image, and it could store literally dozens Boom. of phone numbers and addresses, uh, literally dozens. And I worked all summer to save the money to buy this thing, and I loved it. It was crazily overpriced. It probably had a hundred thousandth of the performance of the original Palm Pilot, and uh, I don't regret it at all. We're also going to give a bonus point to Glenn for slagging off, again, his contestants. And, oh, the look of fury. Serenity is the only person in the room with me. And when you mentioned, uh, when you mentioned uh, how old you were, Glenn, in essence, the, oh, the fury. Although I have something funny to say, which is that I totally had one of those little Casio things in elementary school. <laughs> bonus point for Serenity Caldwell. I think she's a penalty for time travel, but I don't know. Yes. Chris Breen, you have not answered yet. No, and I shall. Uh, that would be my original Mac 512KE, which I spent, uh, it was used. I spent uh, 2000 on that. I upgraded it to a Mac Plus, which is another 1000 I maxed out the RAM, which was up to an entire megabyte, which I think was another trillion. I then added a 100 megabyte hard drive for $1,000, and then I installed a 68030 processor in it for another $500. This is the most expensive Mac I've ever owned, but if it were not for that Mac and access to Mac user software library, because my girlfriend and my wife at the time worked there as a copy editor, I wouldn't be here today because I was able to run every piece of software in that library on this poor Franken-Mac, and it's, uh, I don't regret a second of it. Point off for nepotism. Awesome. <laughs> uh, we are talking about WWDC. That's the subject of our next question. It's sold out, as I mentioned. So a lot of people who might want to attend the show have been shut out. Tell me what's one thing that they'll be sorry to have missed. Lex, let's start off with you. 
You know, I've heard that there are a number of fantastic sessions this year that folks who didn't get tickets are going to miss out on. There's How to Make Your Game's Birds Angrier, Fart Apps for Dummies, which is geared towards yeah. Twitter developers who've been scared away from making new Twitter apps. There's also uh, the Flipboard UI and why we should never move beyond it. And of course, the one I'm most excited about, How to Spend Tons of Money and Never Recoup Your Initial Investment, hosted by the creators of The Daily. And that's how it's done, folks. Uh, Glenn. Well, you know, there's this killer session on cross-integrating frameworks and Xcode when you're refactoring GCC <laughs> Plus with the underlying... I really don't have any idea what I'm talking about, so... <laughs> you made Chris laugh, though. And you... you <laughs> And we and we, we we in the pod booth had had moments of stunned, uncomprehending looks. So we didn't know what you were talking about either. Smarter and smarter and that, smarter. That's right, Chris Breen. Uh, what they're going to miss is the peeled grapes, the back rubs, and the uh, fresh lemon scent because um, Apple knows that the people attending WWDC this year got in very early to get their tickets because they were sold out within a matter of hours. And so Apple wants to show their appreciation by providing these kind of concierge services. That, uh, for the attendees. And the idea here is that the benefits are then going to be, uh, this is the one thing that the attendees can talk about and, and tell other people. So they'll be tweeting about their backups and their peel grapes. And it turns out that next year that Apple is going to hire out the entire state of Delaware for WWDC. And so they're going to have plenty of room and plenty of seats and they'll make plenty of money by selling out again next year. Um, who hasn't answered? Serenity has not answered. Serenity will answer now. Oh, boy. Well, Lex mentioned some great sessions, and then there's the WWDC bash or the keynote, which will undoubtedly have some great Lion and OS moments, and if we're lucky, quips from Phil Schiller, maybe Steve Jobs. But to be honest, I think the most important part of the conference is the hobnobbing with your fellow developers and Apple software engineers. Not only are you undoubtedly going to meet some great new people and share ideas that could lead to your next big thing, but where else do you get the chance to chat with the people who may be secretly responsible for tracking your every movement using your cellular device? Let us check out the scores to see how they've progressed because we've had some movement from, from worst to first. Lex Friedman wow. is now in the joint lead with Serenity Caldwell on 16. Glenn Fleischman, after not knowing what he was talking about in that last question, has slipped into second with 15. Chris Breen bringing up the rear with 13. We have our next question. Steve Jobs famously has a closet full of black turtlenecks and blue jeans so that he doesn't have to waste any time in the morning obsessing over what to wear. I came up with this question while figuring out what to wear one day. Uh, what's your best time-saving tip? Let us start off with Chris Breen. Well, Phil, you know I, I work at home, mm -hmm. so I don't bother getting dressed at all. And um, in fact, um, I'm actually in bed <laughs> right now. And uh, and with the help of the macatheter, I'm productive within seconds of awakening. The, the, there are so many issues that were exposed in the answer to that question. I think we'll just move on to uh, Glenn Fleischman. Well, you know, uh, my strategy is that I find as many clashing patterns, multi-hued clothes with corduroy and other, you know, and felt, other kinds of things so that I can wear the same clothing all week and nobody notices when I've spilled food on it. Saves a lot of money and time and wear and tear on the clothes. <laughs> Serenity. I, I was hopeful. I, I was, when I wrote the question, I thought, oh, we can entertain as well as inform. We can actually get some good time-saving tips in here. What, what if we had clowns? Clowns <laughs> making clown jokes. 
Serenity, please. Have, improve the two. tenor of the discussion. Okay, I have two somewhat helpful tips. Uh-huh. Uh, I wear a lot of hats. So if my hair is wet and or tangled and or embarrassing, I can just hide it up under the hat, and that's nice. But I also, for taking a shower, I have a preset playlist on my phone for the length of my showers in the morning. So if I've hit the Rolling Stones, I know I'm taking too long. Lex. I have two times. Before tape. you start, before you start. Yes. Please make it so that I don't have to apologize to the listeners for including this question. Understood. Because right now, because I had no idea when I wrote it. I thought I, I did not think people were going to say, "Well, he literally wants us to talk about dressing ourselves." We're not I, dressing my- ourselves in Chris's case, and it's it's heartbreaking. It's I, very. We're going to turn it around. We're going to turn it around okay. right now. Save my us. One time saving tip is stop listening to this podcast and go get some real work done. <laughs> My best time-saving tip for Mac users is to go out and get a keyboard launching utility, any keyboard launching utility, Alfred, LaunchBar, Quicksilver, and learn its basics, just the basics. More than Spotlight can offer, using your keyboard to launch apps and navigate your Mac is the single easiest way to boost your Mac productivity, save a ton of time, and also, you probably just want to never join Facebook or Twitter. Mm. See, that's how it's done, folks. You, you offer a little bit of laughter, a little bit of, <laughs> a little bit of uh, good tippery. Or that we all that great. Or that we're, that's how you get hired at macworld.com. And apparently you <laughs> take get, notes, people. You we're get, already hired. What yeah, do we yeah well, and then you, you maintain your job at macworld.com by talking about catheters and working naked. <laughs> so let's move on to our next question. I have a, uh, I have a question that deserves a one-word answer. What word best describes the iPad 2? Looking for one word. Serenity. Magnets. Magnets is an acceptable answer. Chris Breen, one word. Shiny. Uh, Lex Friedman. Magicaler. <laughs> and Glenn Fleischman. Released. <laughs> and we all got one point on that, making that a pointless question. <laughs> Our next question is all about this. That sound approximates the release of Research in Motion's playbook, which debuted to less than stellar reviews. So I would like to know from the panel, what's it going to take to finally kill off the iPad? Let's start with Glenn Fleischman. It's going to take stakes and torches. No, seriously, if if one freaking single company in the tech world could actually look at how people use devices, what's missing, the gaps in Apple's control freak approach, and then execute across both hardware and software to deliver something that actually works when it's released with all its features intact and stop focusing on Flash and USB, start thinking about battery life, screen resolution, ease of app development, allowing any app to be Boom. installed, maybe there's a chance. But as long as the designers, the hardware, the software teams at companies are apparently locked in mortal combat with each other, no other company stands a chance. Very good answer. Serenity. Well, I agree with Glenn on a large part in that Apple has really clearly done something right. So you mean, to be perfectly honest, I think the Another only thing... Another point to Glenn there. <laughs> That's okay. I do agree with him. But on that note, I think the only person who's going to kill off the iPad is going to be Apple itself. When Apple decides that we're going to be in an age of post-tablet computing and they're going to invent the next great big thing. And I mean, it could take any number of forms, but my first idea is the iAir where who needs a screen when you can just tap on front of you know in the air in front of you you just get a projection of a screen 
Very awesome. Je- very Jetsons. Very uh, very twenty first century. We're living in the future, damn yeah. it. Chris Breen. Uh, it will take many, many hammers to do that. Um, what the kilocrat doesn't seem to realize is that it's more than just specs. So you can come out with wonderful specs, you can come out with wonderful hardware, but people, normal people, don't care. Because they want an iPad. And it's very much like the old iPod days that people, you know, you didn't ask your parents for your birthday, I want a music player. No, I want an iPod. And in this case, they're not going to say, I want an Android tablet computing device. No, I want an iPad because that's what everybody else has. The brand is incredibly strong. And I'm not sure that any company, unless they come out with something that is akin to the second coming, is going to be able to compete. And finally, Lex Friedman. I mean, to kill the iPad, you're going to need either a time machine or at least a mulligan. Uh, you can't out-iPad the iPad, and you certainly can't under-iPad the iPad, which is what the playbook seemingly aims to do. The best way, the answer here is if, you, if you're trying to kill the iPad, the only way to do that is to stop trying to kill it and start trying to live alongside it. The Kindle is you know, one device I own in addition to my iPad, and I'm happy to have it. I don't own a Nook Color, and it's not something that I need, but it's defined its own niche as a, a cheaper, less powerful, and less awesome than the iPad, but successful at what it seemingly sets out to do, and, and that's a decent strategy. All right, then. Uh, Let's check the scores. Lex Friedman continues to build on his lead. He's got 23 points. Glenn Fleischman with 21. Serenity Caldwell just behind him with 20. And Chris Breen really needs to do well on our next question, which is the golden envelope question. Match my answer that I've scrawled on a pad of paper, and you'll get 10 bonus points. The question is this. Angry Birds has reported 100 million downloads. I want to hear what the panel thinks is the most unlikely success story of all time. Building off the success of Angry Birds, a a seemingly simple app which people have downloaded again and again, what's another unlikely success story? So let's start off with the guy who really needs to make up some ground, Chris Breen. That would be Tofu. Okay. (laughs) Fermented bean curd. It's it's wretched stuff, and how anybody could stand eat it is uh, is shocking to me. And yet, look, awesome. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right, then I would like. I in in Chris's defense, I did. Not, I'm I'm doing this only to disable the other panelists. I here. did not. <laughs> I did not specify that it had to be a tech product. So, let's go with Glenn Fleischman. Well. I don't know what you're thinking, so I've come up with The Da Vinci Code because I hate that book so much. It has nothing to do with technology, but it does have a muddled plot. It's an overwritten book. It's got a short – the guy has a short name that fits neatly on a cover. And, you know, he sold bazillions of copies of the thing. It made a fortune in the theaters. It's terrible. It's a defining aspect of kitsch culture in the modern age. Terribly overrated. Unlikely success story. Lex Friedman. You know, uh, the least – the most unlikely success story of all time – Steve Wozniak is not worthy of this answer. So frankly, the the most unlikely success story of all time is Apple. Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs agreed to bring in a new CEO and chose John Scully. It's a company that was on the brink of failure. Everyone was ready to write them off. And under Steve, now it has turned around to be the money-printing innovation leader that it is today. And remember, this was the company that gave the world CyberDog at one point. So this Apple's turnaround is truly the most unlikely success story of all time. Serenity Caldwell. Well, Lex Friedman stole my answer. But that's okay. Uh, I mean, I will say I actually I will go a sub a subgenre of Apple, and I will say that Apple's retail stores were quite Boom. 
quite unexpectedly successful. When Apple opened its first retail store in 2001, the entire industry was saying, what the heck are you thinking? I mean, CompUSA was going into bankruptcy. I think Dell's stores had just closed, something like that. Gateway. Gateway, there we go. Uh, so they were they were embarking on complete mania, and everybody is just rolling their eyes, and they're like, "This is this is crazy." And now, ten years later, we're approaching their tenth anniversary. They're about to have one billion their one billionth visitor, which is mind boggling. And I, you know, I have a certain amount of pride for the store. I was at the store la- launch at Glendale, the fir- very first store. Um, or so, so it's supposedly. There's a, there's some debate about that. It's te- it's R O O one in the catalog. Technically, it was launched I- after Falls Church, but. It's still, uh, I believe, actually, the, uh, the the one in Virginia opened first. Yes, but but it's technically first in Apple's catalog. They technically they're technically the same. Ah, boo. <laughs> well, in any case, you know that. And I worked to, at an Apple store for for two years, so I have to I have to give credit to the Apple stores. They're really impressive. Let's uh, open up the golden envelope, which is not actually an envelope, to reveal that the most unlikely success story of all time is the original iPod. <laughs> right, Philip Michaels down. Uh, think of what the MP3 market was. MP3 player market was back in 2001. It was a product that was sort of out of uh, out of Apple's uh, uh, core competencies. A lot of people, this reporter included, thought, "Oh, this is madness that they're that they're coming out with." And they uh, created a category-defining uh, uh, product. So the original iPod is the correct answer. That was part of my Apple answer, rats. It's all your fault, Lex. <laughs> you could have you could have scooped some bonus points, but we'll move on. <laughs> and to uh, introduce our next question, let's hear from our good friend Tim Cook. The demand on iPad 2 has been staggering. We're still amazed at it. We are still uh, heavily backlogged, not only at the end of the quarter, but also up to date. Confident we're going to produce a very large number. Whether that will be enough to meet demand, uh, I don't know. Uh, demand has been staggering. I'm not going to predict when supply and demand will come into balance. That was Tim Cook calling us from a phone line in 1996 to tell us <laughs> that Apple has basically sold every iPod iPad 2 it could make during the last quarter. Apple obviously doesn't need our help in marketing the new iPad, but maybe we could give them a suggestion or two on how it can improve supply. Let's start off with Lex Friedman. Well, the laws of economics dictate that Apple must decrease demand to increase supply, so all the company has to do is market the iPad as a playbook clone. Alternatively, Apple could try putting some unsold iPods touch on a stretching rack and see if that works. Glenn. Well, they obviously they need to cut down the home tree and dispirit the Navi so that more unobtainium can be efficiently harvested to make more iPad 2s. Ooh, topical. Uh, Chris Breen. Uh, all they have to do is sell them for $50,000 each. And uh, not only will you have fewer people lining up to buy them, but you have to produce fewer. And, of course, there's the whole profit thing. Boom. Serenity. Uh, you know, I think it can be fairly simple. They just need to release the iPhone 5 ahead of schedule. Who wants an iPad 2 when you can get the next big iPhone? Boom. Very good. Coming down the home stretch here. No time to check the scores. Apple is suing Samson or Samsung. They're not suing Samson, the biblical character known for his strength. <laughs> They're suing the company, Samsung. Samsung is suing them right back. Microsoft is suing Google. So is Oracle. Please put an end to all these smartphone patent disputes and tell me how we can get these companies to link arms 
and sing Kumbaya in our forum, the People's Court. Serenity. Well, clearly we have to find a way to unite these companies against a common enemy. Apple, Samsung, Microsoft, Google, Oracle. Together, they could be a five-headed hydra of justice striking down any foe. But what could possibly bring them all together? Well, we could hope for an alien invasion and with it advanced alien technology companies threatening to take over everyone's market share. But I think the more likely candidate might turn out to be the Chinese black market. I mean, sure, right now it's still relative small potatoes. But if you don't strike down the knockoffs now, they may become more powerful than you ever imagined. I, I was hoping you would go for sort of a Justice League of America type thing. I mean, that was my first thought, yeah. but I couldn't think of the costumes or the icon. Like, it really needed good symbols and yes, yeah. Chris Breen. Well, it you know, Phil, it turns out that the uh, phrase "kumbaya" is actually a bastardization of the Gula phrase, which of course is "gupayao," which means "for every attorney, a job." And this was the motto of the North Carolina Geeches Law and Laundry Academy, which was active in the 1930s. So in truth, these companies are doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing, which is keeping one of America's last industries alive. I, I don't understand what Chris Breen is saying anymore. <laughs> I, I'm just randomly pressing buttons when he talks, <laughs> hoping that it approximates his score. Glenn, please pull us out of our tailspin. Well, I would argue this is a Kobayashi Maru scenario, and that unfortunately there is no James Tiberius Kirk to go and reprogram the simulator. We're in a no-win situation. The only way to make it a zero-sum game is if everybody involved thinks that it's going to cost them more in litigation than the outcome. But unfortunately, history shows that there are winners and losers here. So I think not only do we have these companies suing each other, I think eventually every company in the United States will wind up suing each other uh, and will be in a constant state of litigation even worse than we're in today. You know, I'm going to chalk this up to the head cold that I didn't really fall along. That I'm going to turn to my engineer and ask him to score Glenn's answer there. Boom. Okay. Two points. Well done, Glenn. Lex Friedman. <laughs> Well, quite frankly, I don't understand all these patent disputes. No, I neither think, do I. Point to, point to Lex. <laughs> I think every single company involved in, of all things, patent-related lawsuits is simply nuts. Patton was great on The King of Queens. He was excellent as the voice of Ratatouille. He's a hilarious roaster. His stand-up comedy is the stuff of legend. I think all these smartphone companies should stop this infighting over Patton and just let him do his thing. That was a reference to Patton Oswalt for the oh. listeners who... Never mind. Did not follow along with the, the the line of reasoning there. Let me tell you, we have all to play for heading into our final question. We have uh, three competitors tied with twenty-seven points, and Chris Breen, who uh, <laughs> is already getting his lovely parting gifts. Uh, our final question: There are so many rumors about the next iPhone. I can't keep them all straight. Tell me, what's Apple going to do with the next version of its smartphone? Let's start off with Chris. Okay. Mm -hmm. Seriously, now. Uh, faster processor. They're going to have touch. Touch will be on front and back. We'll get a higher resolution camera. Uh, the body is going to be made entirely of an antenna. And um, it will be, in, uh, and this is the most important thing, it will be available in a variety of not quite white colors. And this allows Apple to use up all the paint that they've produced over the last year and a half over the aborted white iPhones. Boom. A very strong finish from Chris Breen. Will it be strong enough to land him in the final? Serenity. Well, 
I'm hoping on the software side that they'll send it to the clouds, or more specifically, the syncing cloud. I would love an iPhone that can stick my movies, music, podcasts, and books across the internet. No need for this pesky four-hour plug-my-phone-to-download-all-my-data process I have to go through every single time I restore it or buy a new one. And on the hardware front, I would... Come on, Apple. You have some great engineers working for you. I would love some actual unbreakable, maybe even bounceable glass. Think of the geniuses. Think of the poor geniuses. Or if nothing else, the legions of happy parents and stupid children. Extra bonus point there for referring to children, our most precious resource, as stupid. Lex. Well, uh, what Apple's going to do with the next version of the iPhone is simple. It's going to sell millions of them. I, mean, I agree with Chris. You know, the, the camera's going to be a little better. The processor's going to be a bit faster. I think we're probably going to see a new gesture area. And I think it's likely that the company will just make a single phone that could work with either AT&T or Verizon, just one model phone. But the single biggest new feature I'm rooting for is built-in voice alerts to correct you whenever you're holding it wrong. Fantastic. Uh, Glenn Fleischman. Well, Lex, I got your gesture area right here. Oh! <laughs> well, no, I think it's going to have three technologies no one's even suspected. First, mesh technology, mesh networking, so that when you're near a cluster of iPhone users, it's going to share data among them, and you'll sync up with other people, and everyone will have bits and pieces of your data, and it'll, it'll work because it's Apple. It won't be like Microsoft's Zune, the social. This will actually be good. Second, it's going to use small propulsion technology so that when an iPhone tumbles, it'll automatically right itself like a cat and use tiny jets of high, uh, uh, high pressure air to cushion its fall just a little bit so the glass isn't broken. Finally, 3D, 3D Pico projector built in so that all that great 3D movie content that we're missing now because we don't own 3D TV sets, it'll work on the iPhone. It'll project it on the wall and it'll say, help me, Obi-Wan's Jobs Nobi, you're my only hope. Very strong round for all our competitors. Let's see who made the final. Chris Breen there, uh, with a really strong answer, pulled really close at the end, but finished last with 29 points. Serenity Caldwell, 30 points. That means joint first place, Lex Friedman and Glenn Fleischman with 31. They'll square off in our final. Defend the indefensible. Chris, would you care to explain how this round works? <laughs> Let me tell you how this works. Whatever Phil says, you want to agree with him. And, uh, yeah, that's it, right? Yeah, that's it. And when I say I, I mean uh, the, the person I'm saying it to. If I say I to Lex, I mean Lex. If I say I to Glenn, I'm in the position of Glenn. Uh, Lex, as a as a the future Macworld employee and, and not a, a, a freelancer like Glenn, would you like to go first or second? I'd like to go second, please. Okay, Glenn. A little bit of gamesmanship. Here is your Defend the Indefensible. You have 20 seconds to defend what I say. Not only don't I have a problem with Apple tracking my location, I often call up the company to tell them precisely where I am and what I'm wearing. Yeah, I never remember what I wear from day to day, and I hate to wear the same clothes twice. So with satellite photos, the Maps app, and iPhone tracking, it means not only can I find out where I left my iPhone or forgot it, where I left my keys, and who just hit me in the head from behind, Lex, but I can also make sure I never wear the same outfit twice to the same social function. That was spot on 20 seconds. Wow, I don't think we've ever had that before. I also tweet 140 characters. Yes. That is that is outstanding. Lex, big mountain to climb. Let's see if you can do it. 
Now that I'm a Macworld employee, the only thing I'm looking forward to more than stealing my weight in office supplies is using my writing position to subliminally promote Microsoft Windows. Listen, the whole thing has been a ruse. I started freelancing for Phil two years ago writing iPhone reviews, and the whole time I was saying, when is Microsoft going to come out with a Windows phone? Finally, they have. The Zune wasn't it, but it was close. Windows Phone 7 is excellent, and Windows Phone 7 is excellent for one reason and one reason only. It runs Windows. You're all sheeple. I'm going to convince you, and it's happening soon. This may be our toughest final ever. I, I am going to turn to the triumvirate of people who are actually in the room, and we, we are all in agreement... It's Glenn Fleischman as our Ooh. champion. <laughs> I lose every judge's decision. Lex, please, please report to HR. They'd like to have a word with you. Um, Just remember, I, I put the senior into senior contributor. I would like to thank all my uh, all my guests for for appearing today. Uh, Chris Breen, thank you. Serenity Caldwell, Lex Friedman, Glenn Fleischman, thank you, listeners, uh, for. Dealing with a host who's very, very, very ill and should be, should be in bed. We'll try and do it again next time. Maybe when my, uh, when my fever returns to 98.6. I'm Philip Michaels. This has been the Macworld Pundit Showdown. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.